It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. This is Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. Many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. You're genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly, to give a space for queer voices to be heard. This week's guest talks about how shame was hurled at him from preachers and how as a young sexually active male, he lived in the shadow of the HIV AIDS crisis. He shares his journey through depression and proudly today claiming his identity as a sexy, muscular, over 50s gay man. Share your thoughts about today's episode on social media using the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast at inthekeyofq.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really, 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 really helps. All that's left to say is enjoy the episode. Not only, Jack, are you, you know, not supposed to be gay and you're, you're, you know, somehow choosing this horrible life. Well, guess what? Now, if you're going to have sex, you're probably going to die. Hello, I'm Dan Hall, and I love popular music. But I'm taking a break from mapping its heteronormative lyrics onto my gay life. And in this podcast, I'm going in search of musicians from around the world who mirror and inspire my own queer journey. Welcome to In the Key of Q. This week, I'm featuring a fantastic artist from the United States whose genre is country, which for me is one that I particularly love. I don't understand why I love it. As a Brit, as a Londoner, it shouldn't speak to me at all, but I really, really do love it. And so it's fantastic to welcome Jack Nathan Harding to the show. Jack, hello. Hello, how are you, Dan? Yeah, boy, you know you're gonna get it big time. Been asking for it for a long time. I'm gonna put you in your place. I am a dude that um, grew up in uh, West Texas. I um, have um, moved myself out to California years and years ago where I um, worked and still uh, work as an actor. Several years back, started creating... um, some country music that um, I was missing when I was growing up. Country music that had um, all male pronouns. What was it like for you growing up in in West Texas? It was pretty good until I turned 13. And that's when I realized I was gay. Back that long ago when there was no internet, it it was very scary. I know I went into myself when I turned 13, because all of a sudden I had a secret. What year was this, Jack? Oh, you're going to make me do math? <laughs> this Roughly. This, this was... Um, what I'd season say, of the Golden Girls was it? <laughs> uh, sadly, it's pre-Golden Girls. Um, this was, I'd say we're like around 79, okay. 80. I was brought up um, Southern Baptist. 
So, you know, every Sunday we would go sit in church, quite often hear about the preacher talking about, you know, homosexuals and and how terrible it is. And it it was just weird being, you know, 13 going, gosh, is this, is this my life? Is this, this is just my lot. I get to be the scourge of the world because, because I feel this way. Were you thinking I am bad rather than they are wrong? Oh, absolutely. That was my first thought. I am bad. I am broken. There was no other side of the conversation at that time. The only side of the conversation, if it was even brought up, was gay is bad, gay is a sin, don't do it. What was it like, Jack, for, for the child and, and teenage Jack to never hear pronouns, to never see commercials, to never see movies, to never see TV shows where there was any positive representation of, of your queerness. There was nothing to reach out and hold on to. There were no signs of hope. Had I lived in a San Francisco or a New York, you would have areas or ghettos, I guess they call them, where, you know, gay people would tend to congregate or move to. It still was in San Francisco or in New York. It still was so far away. Like, like I'm still stuck here. I'm still at my parents' house. Not having those images, not having um, gay be a part of any kind of normal conversation, it turned me inside. And for a long time, even till today, I'm much more private. Um, I'm definitely introverted. Did you attempt, as many of us did, including myself, to, to hide the gay? Oh, yeah. I became hyper aware of everything, every hand movement. Don't look at a guy in the eyes. Don't look at, you know, it was, it was very fear-based, but it was, it was to protect myself because... If there was any speech about gay people, it was about you better not be or, you know, you're going to end up dead. And I can't describe to people who haven't been through this how exhausting that is to have that as every single fiber of your existence to teach yourself how to hide. Everything about me growing up, especially 13, 14, 15, that was all about um, survival. The main way to survive was to not let anybody know anything about you at all. And I sort of walked around in a shell. You know, I did things like choir and band and, and stuff like that. I could get through, but it was exhausting because it was like carrying this giant weight around and there was no outlet. As I grew up in that church, I would find adult men 
that were members of the church. Bachelors was the, I think was the appropriate term for these men that were clearly gay. But even worse than me, had grown up <laughs> in the 50s and 60s and, and were even more scared about being who they were. And, and there was this sadness I would feel in, of course, I didn't have my shit together yet, by no means, but I would start recognizing, oh, that's a gay dude. He's 60 years old right now. There's no discussion. There's no anything other than he, he feels afraid. Did you look at those people and go, that is my future. That is what I have. Then I'm not sure how much I saw other than the sadness. I'm going to have to be alone. I'm going to have to live by myself because I can't, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be with a woman because I just don't want to, right? Because I'm gay. And that was so hard. It's like, why would God make me this fucked up? Why can't I just, you know, go to prom, have a girlfriend, do all the shit that everybody else, you know, is having fun doing right now? Why, why do I have to not do that? Why do I have to feel different? Finally, I got involved in our community theater. As soon as I got involved in that, I suddenly for the first time felt I was being appreciated for my extravagance. It was a place where I got, I got validation in some form for what I brought to the table. And that's why I'm so grateful, even, even where I grew up, that we had that. And while that doesn't mean that everybody there was gay, there was one or two. And all the other people that were involved seemed to be more what now we would call allies. Right? Kind of my very first um, family or, you know, self-made family was, was that theater group. You know, it's funny because the whole coming out is kind of one of these, you know, more of a modern idea, if you will, because there was still no, oh, okay, now, I, now I'm gay. I need to, I need to tell people, right? There, there, there was, still was none of that. So even though I had found somebody who was gay, it didn't change a single thing as far as presenting straight 100% on the ball when you search for love but heartaches all that's found you go on when it all comes crashing down around you go on when did there start to be the green shoots of the person i'm speaking to now it was definitely after high school. I, I, I had prayed, tried to pray the gay away so long. I ended up um, moving to Dallas. And to me, if there was a tipping point, it was um, leaving my town. And at that moment, I was allowed to, from that moment on, go forward as my own person. When I was good, I um, 
had a new um, partner at that time and we moved to Dallas. And it just from that point on, it was like anybody you met, it was just this is gay Jack. Yeah. Right. And so um, that, I guess, would be my tipping point, leaving the situation that was oppressing me. What was the Dallas like that you were moving to? I guess it was the mid 80s by now towards the late 80s. Yeah, probably. Yes. Late 80s, early 90s. Then right then at the same time, all the AIDS crisis is just revving up. And well, you know, at least you saw gay people on TV. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, it's that terrible thing, isn't it? Where it's almost like, you know, hell, visibility at any cost. And even though we have to die in every single show, at least we're there. Yeah, at least they're there. And that, that maybe people are showing some compassion for that person. I think these were the first times I saw gay characters who weren't jokes. Back then, HIV and AIDS was kind of a double whomp on my head. It was kind of like, not only, Jack, are you, you know, not supposed to be gay, and you're, you're you know, somehow choosing this horrible life. Well, guess what? Now, if you're going to have sex, you're probably going to die. You know, it was, this, it was this second layer on top of being gay. I have to say, for, for a while, I was like, it, Am I, <laughs> were they all right? Am I not supposed to be doing this now? Because of course, everybody was saying at the time, well, Jesus sent AIDS, you know, to kill all the homosexuals. Here I am, you know, by myself or, you know, with maybe one or two other people. And, and now we're getting visibility, but those people are dying and, it's it's a very it was a very hopeless time and you know i'm sure lots and lots of suicide from you know people in my in my same boat that just couldn't that couldn't cope couldn't grasp couldn't couldn't see anything through the horrors that were happening You search for love, but heartaches all that's found you. What you gonna do? Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. I do struggle with um, <laughs> forming um, full thoughts a lot. Um, and in, in performing, um, I, there was a control that I could have, especially with acting, um, because you have a script. I have, I have a framework. And now my job is to infuse myself into this framework. And... Let, let those words of the author, you know, 
come through me as if I'm thinking of them for the first time, right? That's kind of the, the goal of, of acting, I guess. But it's that expression and, and, and to feel that and to, um, again, feel, feel worth something that whatever it was I'm bringing to the table was valuable. And that, I mean, that's, that's kind of an amazing feeling, especially when you haven't got to feel that for a lot. Being useful, being needed, you know, taking up some space. Like, you know, sometimes I wish we could just say, should we make the whole world queer for a year? So straight people can see what it is like to be invisible. Yeah. Invisibility, the word meaning that it's not seen or not there, it sure hurts a lot for something that's not there. It's the nothingness that's hard to describe, but it is that invisibility that has um, for sure attributed to um, my depression a lot of the times. Again, invisible, feeling unheard. It's kind of the same thing that that your opinion, that your value or just whatever it is that you stand for isn't being reflected anywhere. Now, you mentioned, Jack, your depression. How has depression manifested itself for you? It's kind of the arrival of the black hole. When, when I've been depressed or, or, or greatly depressed, um, it's like nothing comes in, nothing comes out. I don't listen to music when I'm depressed. I can't. It doesn't, you know, I can't make music when I'm depressed. It's sort of a weird shutdown kind of thing. But I have found things that get me through it. And sometimes it's a push and sometimes it's hard. But um, songwriting is one of the things that has helped greatly with my depression because to me, songwriting is putting, putting thoughts in order. And when you get through with this song, for me, I, I have a complete thought, <laughs> whether it's about love, whether it's about sex, um, whether it's about inspiration, it's this complete thought, curated, tried out, tested, but it's a thing that I can put into the world. There is a feeling of being heard. I have put my voice out there. I have said what I wanted to say. There was a hope. And that's what, to me, that's the depression squelcher for me is if I have a hope. I'm an ace. I give gray face. I shoot him looks of steel. But that ain't real. No, you can't show when you're feeling low. Yeah, they make it clear. No one wants to hear behind every smile. My heart's sinking low. This glint in my eyes, just some little white lies I turn on for the show. So you'll never know. I got tears by the mile. 
every smile. What I have done for me that has alleviated depression is to is to write is to write down my thoughts and and sometimes they just end up in a notebook that I'll discover <laughs> several months later and and laugh at but at the time it's just taking it out of your body putting it somewhere else whether it's on a notebook paper whether it's recording something because you're putting it outside of yourself and then maybe that can grow into something maybe that can be hope so you'll never know i got tears by the mind behind every smile from the outside looking in And of course, for anybody listening to this, we will, of course, provide assistance links in the show notes for depression helplines and, and all sorts of help there. So, of course, please do look at the show notes for assistance in this. We were in the middle of the Trump fiasco. And I felt like, well, if the world is going to blow up tomorrow, then I think I just don't give a shit anymore. And I think I'm going to start writing and making the kind of music I want to. Things I, you know, never thought I could before, never thought it would, maybe it won't pan out. Maybe, you know, people won't be interested. But then it was like, you know what? Fuck it. This all may end tomorrow, and I'm going to be pissed if I didn't do what the heck I wanted to do. And that's that's when I started writing my dude-on-dude dude country music. And it's not always all about the pronouns, but it kind of, for me, was. Why do I have to adjust the song in my brain to make it fit? I had someone say to me, Jack, um, for season one, one of the critiques I got was saying, these are all male identifying artists. Surely women were influential on you or female identifying artists were influential on you and surely you were missing them as well. And I said, yes, of course they were. But the point of this podcast is it's not about me saying this is a definitive podcast about LGBTQIA music. It's about me trying to redress the balance of having had a total absence of he-he narratives when I was a teenager. So it's my journey seeking those pronouns. And the response I got was, oh, don't be silly. That doesn't matter that much. Well, and you know, that's really interesting you say that because I want to be open for everyone. You know, I don't exclude anybody. But at the same time, I want some music that's a guy singing about another guy, clearly singing about another guy, not just I love you or ooh baby. It's weird because while I want to be open for everyone, there is a specificity, at least that the subject matter isn't about everyone. It is about a dude and a dude. And for once, Jack, we can say to everybody else, you can translate. You're very, very welcome to. 
just like you think it's fine that I translate. Yeah, yeah. I'm just making my truthful music, right? And you know, if if there's any one comment that I have gotten through all of this that comes up over and over again is, thank you for making this music. I would have listened to country music a lot earlier if I had felt represented. That's probably the cherry on the cake of my day. That's that's my favorite thing to hear. Look at that cowboy taking my bait from across the room. Under the flash and the boom, boom, boom. Stud, come on over, wanna get some of mine. I said, if you got the cash, I got the time. Buddy, let's ride, let's ride. Yeah. Take it round back. Let's ride, let's ride. Yeah. We gonna toss that haystack. So often in the in the queer community, we take sex and sexuality very, very seriously, and we forget that it should be flirtatious and horny and fun. Well, thank you. I I will take those adjectives. <laughs> you have a mischief. You 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 know you you talk about fucking in boats and blowjobs and the you know the joy of feeling denim against a cheek before you get someone's cock out. I I love hearing you say that just because while I do write a lot of things from experience, a lot of things I write are not based on experience and are more of what would it be like if I've been an old, boring, monogamous person for 25 plus years now, but it was kind of a way to have an adventure without having an adventure. So I made up. I've always been, as an outsider, I've always been fascinated how country music, straight country music anyway, is filled with tropes. You know, I really notice them. Things like there's an obsession with, with girls with bare feet on dashboards and cold beers on tires and, oh, and oh, rivers yes. and things are dusty all the time. Old, old back roads. Yeah. <laughs> what is and, that about? I don't know, but I think legally you're supposed to have at least three of them in a country song <laughs> if you want to call it a country song. <laughs> and I will tell you, I do have a few of them in my music too. I don't know. It's funny because sometimes now I will hear uh, brand new country music on the radio and it's like, oh, and you're going to oh, and you're going to go down an old dirt road, aren't you? Yeah, there you go. All right. And and yeah, my girlfriend's got her feet up on the dashboard. It's like, OK, yep, there you go. I think that always happens. You know, my favorite band is a is a British band called Suede, who are called the London Suede in, in the United States. And, you know, they are just as much filled with tropes. And some of theirs are fucking nonsense. You know, they have lines like, she's the color of a magazine. And you're like, literally, what does that mean? You know, and they're obsessed with things like picnics on motorways and car fumes. And it's just this, this kind of lovely, slightly late teenage angsty stuff. And I love it. So I think tropes are good. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and it's funny because not only the tropes, but you were saying the um, instrumentation. You know, well, I don't play steel slide guitar but that's just like one of those amazing sounds that's in so much music and that but i so i can't have that right now in my music unless i hire somebody to do that which i'm not at that point and it was it was trying to make country music but using the instrumentation that i could do that i could play or electronically or what have you um 
And then I would ask myself, does this sound like country music? It's my instrumentation because why? Because it's mine. I don't want to sound like anybody else. And that was, for me, was a good turning point. A lot of our artists have said that there's that journey in a way, and maybe all artists make it, in fact, not just queer artists, but that journey where you suddenly have to have the confidence to realize people want to hear me. They don't want to hear me doing, doing a two-bit Brad Paisley. They don't want to hear me trying to be a little bit this or a little bit. They want to hear me. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, I think that's one of the coolest realizations. Jack, make, make the best song that you can make. Have your lyrics make sense for what you want to say. Have the music sound like you want it to sound. And then, and then be done. I say you got a deal, my friend. Buddy, let's ride. Let's ride. Take it round back. Let's ride. Let's ride. We're going to toss that haystack. Let's ride. Let's ride. Everything about you has this very testosterone-y feel about it. In our episode 10 of season one, Warren Dumas told me a wonderful RuPaul quote that I hadn't heard before, and that was, we are all born naked. Everything from then is just drag. It's, well, well, it's definitely drag for sure. I do have, which I'd like to say is a very healthy disconnect with what I put out and what I look like in videos and photographs, people respond to them, yay, sexy, what have you. But they don't know me. And I know that they don't know me. So I know that they are reacting favorably to a photograph or to a video. Although they're taking us full circle, of course. You're, those images are providing important points of reference. You know, for me, the almost total absence of sexy queerness over the age of 35, be it in advertising or in TV, you know, the, the gays still have to be young and beautiful. And it's just really nice seeing sort of horny age positivity. You know, seeing a guy around my age be sexy rather than having to just lock himself away and make room for someone younger. Well, thank you. And, I'm, and there's been many things I think about during all of this process. And yes, that's one of them. I'm an over 50 dude. I think I look okay for an over 50 dude. But yes, I, I definitely feel a very, very strong force in the gay community, in the gay social media, whatever, that yes, I should be put down by now, right? There's that, that I have no worth because, because I'm older. It's something to push past or, or to get past or to get through that, that I don't fit that youthful mold.
what would your 15-year-old self make of your music? I think my 15-year-old self would probably fall on the ground and just be like, oh my God, never thought, never thought. When I was 15, I, nev I never would have thought that I would be making music, um, that I would be an actor, really. I, and I think why did I not think that? It was part of where I grew up. Um, the whole being a closeted gay person. Um, and like I said, that depression, there was not a lot of hope. I, I had trouble imagining things happening in the future. Not even thinking what great things could be happening in the future, what I might be doing or how something that I could write could affect somebody in some state or some country that I, I don't even know of. But, but because I did that thing, they're getting something from it. I, I never would have thought that when I was 15. So then, darling, if those in our audience have been uh, remiss enough and not listened to your catalog... If we could give them one song that would really help lure them in to your whole feel and your music, what would that one song be and why? Okay. I think... <laughs> this is really a hard, a hard, a hard question. <laughs> um, my song, Boots, I think it kind of expresses me. It's... It's one of those songs. It's sexy. It's, um, well, it's boots. It's definitely country, right? There's your trope. It's boots. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Songs are good to make you cry. Songs are good to make you think. And I've written, I have plenty of those. But, but to just have fun is kind of, if you're having fun by listening to my music, oh my gosh, I'm, I've done my job. If you know what I mean, gotta see what's in store with that belt buckle and more as you pound it hard on the sawdust floor. Gonna take my chance while you slide and scoot, get a better glance as you dance around and then. Oops.
gonna dance it out. We're gonna let it all go. We're gonna stomp and shout. Then I'm gonna take you home. Gonna make you shake down to your roots. But you don't know what's about to blow. Jack Nathan Harding, many, many thanks for coming and joining us on In the Key of Q and sharing with us your personal stories growing up as an adult and your, your fantastic music. It's been lovely to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. We're going to dance it out. We're going to let it all go. We're going to stomp and shout. Then I'm going to take you home. I'm going to make you shake down to your roots. Make no mistake, I'm a lot to take once you get me out. We're going to dance it out. We're going to let it all go. We're going to stomp and shout. Then I'm gonna take you home, gonna make you shake down to your roots. But you don't know what's about to blow once I get you out of there. Many thanks for listening. Our website is in the key of Q.com and hop over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash in the key of Q where you can find all sorts of exclusive content. Our theme tune is by Paulie Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com. Many thanks to Murray Lang and Kajun Kantha. I'm Dan Hall at Puppet Media Consultancy, and this is In the Key of Q. See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.